Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Sure, we will know people in heaven. There'll be a great time of celebration and a great time of reunion. And perhaps we get to heaven, we're hugging all of our family and friends and having a great reunion there with those who've gone on before and we'll feel something rubbing on our leg and there will be a, a cat or there will be your dog jumping up on you and you animals are going to be in heaven, folks. Jesus honored children. You can be sure that child of yours will be in heaven. Heaven wouldn't be heaven without children, would it? The truth is, heaven will be the best reunion ever. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today on The Winning Walk, Dr. Young begins his message, Will We Know People in Heaven? and shares how in heaven you'll see everything and everyone through God's eyes. That message is coming up on The Winning Walk. Now, here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Will We Know People in Heaven? We've been talking about heaven. Bow on our knees. See Him. And we've already discovered that heaven is a place. I go to prepare a place for you. And we know when the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a prelude to the coming back of Jesus Christ, when the curtain of history will come down and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and the will of God that takes place on heaven will now take place on earth and there will be a new existence. The closest we can understand would be the Garden of Eden, but it'll even be a better place and a more magnificent place than that. A new heaven, a new earth. Heaven is a place. Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. Number two, in heaven, those who are in Christ will have resurrected bodies. Prototype would be the resurrected body of Jesus. We talked about that. So we'll be in a supernatural world with a supernatural body. Then we said, well, what will this be like? And we went through a long list of things, but most of all, it will be like a life of opportunity in which all of our dreams that you have, all the goals that you have, all the ideas that I have, all of those things you would like to follow through and didn't, all of that will come together in timeless heaven because we'll have eternal time, not chronological man's time, and we'll be able to put it all together and pursue all of that in a magnificent fashion throughout all eternity. That's what it will be like in heaven. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered the heart of the mind of human beings what God has prepared. Listen, God has prepared it for those who have fallen in love with him. And then we come to the point that we ask, well, 
What will we know about heaven? What do we know for sure about heaven? Perhaps you noticed in the news that 007 Roger Moore died this past Tuesday. He was 89 years old. He made what, seven or eight different movies, all of them very popular. He was man with a gun. He was a man who was a spy for Great Britain, but pretended to be a spy, but actually conquered all the spies. He had a license to kill, you remember, the Ian Fleming novels that were put on the screen. 007, James Bond, died. Before he died, back in 2002, somebody asked Roger Moore, that's who he was, Roger, what is your concept of life after death? Let me paraphrase his answer. He said, I believe we'll go into a room and there we'll have a door and the key to that door will be the fact that we have died and we'll take the key of death and open that door and go inside to some sort of existence that we don't know a whole lot about and we can only imagine or dream of. That's his concept of life after life. He's not far off from what you can read or hear from a lot of philosophies, a lot of religions. If you're a Hindu, you'll have the idea that you'll be reincarnated. You'll come back as something else or something other or something more or something less. You'll be going up the scale or down the scale, all of those subjective evaluations that have no basis of reality or evidence. Eastern religions say primarily we go back to some kind of mist and we absorb into the holy other up there, out there, over there. So there's all kinds of concepts of life after life. So I thought we'd just sit down and discover what we know about heaven. Now, first of all, let me drop back and ask you a question. When you die, do you think immediately, if you're a Christian, that you will know everything? Some people think that. You will not. I will not. Some have equated heaven with divinity. You see, we are not omniscient now, are we? Do we know everything now? No, 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 no. And we'll not be omniscient when we die. We'll not be omnipresent everywhere when we die. We'll be not be omnipotent, have all power. These are assets that the divine God and the divine God has. has. We will not have that when they die. So therefore, when we die, we'll not know everything. And I say, thank God for that. Man, that's beyond our pay scale. We'll not have the capacity. We don't want the responsibility. God alone has that responsibility of being omniscient, all-knowing. You'll not know everything when you die. Some people go to 1 Corinthians 13. We see through a glass darkly, then we'll see face to face, and we will know as we have been known but that doesn't mean our knowing will be omniscient. You'll not know everything when you die. 
There may be a revelation of this through eternity. I don't know. There's verses that point to that fact. But when you die, you won't know everything. But let me tell you what you will know. And we've talked about this already. One thing, when you and I die in Christ and have been resurrected with him into heaven, one thing we know that we will see God. That's the beatific vision you've heard about or maybe read about in some old theologians. And there's been a question that's been asked, very an interesting question. I'll ask it to you. When you die, if you had the choice of having everything forever you've ever imagined. Did you get that? You die, here's a choice. You can have everything you've ever imagined forever and forever and forever and just stack it up, enjoy it, live with it forever. You get it all when you die. That's one choice, but you never get to see God. You get it all, but you never see God. You better think about that one for a while. I've thought about it many, many times. I come back to the same conclusion. Listen, heaven will not be heaven unless we get to see God. All of the confectionaries, all the other things that we can imagine and do and accomplish, won't amount to anything after the first two or four billion years. The ultimate is to see God. We've looked a little bit about what heaven is going to be like. Remember the description there in Revelation 21 and 22? Remember how they would have a holy city, New Jerusalem, a new country, a new constitution? And it's a magnificent thing. And then we talked about in the main street of heaven... There would be the river of life that would go all the way up to the throne. The Lamb of God would be on that throne. And the river is a symbol of the Holy Spirit in the main. It's a clear, deep river. It's a symbol of pleasure and prosperity right in the main street of heaven. And on either side of the river will be the tree of life. Remember the Garden of Eden? There was a tree of life and there was prohibited from eating of the fruit of that tree. Now we can eat of the fruit of that tree. And the leaves of that tree bring us healing. So this is a beautiful figure of something of the glory and the majesty and the health and the presence of that river flowing right down through the main street of heaven. And then the Bible tells us about the city. Remember what the foundation was? The foundation of heaven, the foundation of the holy city, the foundation of the new Jerusalem, it is based on the apostles, the 12 apostles. The 12 gates around the city are based and named after the 12 uh, prophets, the prayer of forefathers there in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of that crew, the family of Jacob. And so we see the Old Testament and New Testament is brought together on the base of the foundation and the 12 gates. And now we go in the city and there is the lamb that is on the throne. And then at the bottom line, you read in the fourth verse of chapter number 22 of Revelation, it says, 
we will see God and the name of God will be written on their foreheads. Let me deal with the name of God. It disturbs me today when we do not take the name of God and keep it sacred and keep it holy. When you say, oh God, well, I don't mean anything by that. It is a form of profanity. When we say, we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting, that is irreverence, irreverence. We have to be so careful how we use humor when we bring God in our humor. So we, we lose something when we take God and make him sort of a pedestrian thing as a product of humor, as a product of, of our conversation, as our product of our expletives that we say. Man, it's people of Jesus Christ. I didn't mean anything by that. Oh, yes, you are bringing down the holiness and the majesty and the awesomeness of the Almighty. So we need to be very, very careful this with our lives, the lives of our children and our grandchildren, because it's pretty old to say, oh God, oh God, listen. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. We have to be careful. In our generation, it is almost a part of our culture. Then it says, we will see God. Who can see God? We've talked about that. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Anybody who's pure in heart today, would you stand up? I want to recognize you. <laughs> no, we're not pure in heart, are we? My heart is not pure. Your heart is not pure. So how will we ever see God? We begin to see him in this life. This is where it begins. The purity of Christ must come into you and must come into me. This helps our motivation. It helps us understand, helps us to see God in life, in our life, in the lives of others, in this life. How does purity come to us? He goes right back to the cross, doesn't it? Right back to the cross. Max Lucato said, the verse in the Bible that he hates and despises more than any other verse and it says, when Jesus is on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I thought about that. That is a devastating verse, isn't it? My God, my God, why? Here is Jesus asking a question. That doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? I and my father are one. My meat is to do the will of the father. If you know me, you know the Father, you know the Father, you know me. How he walked 24-7 with his heavenly Father in that wonderful, wonderful relationship. Now in the moment of great extremity, Jesus, divinity wrapped up in human flesh, shamed, embarrassed, nailed, crucified. His moment of extremity, God turned his back on him and Jesus says, my God, why have you abandoned me? Makes no sense, does it? When Jesus spoke, usually you put an exclamation point after it. Come forth. Be healed. Stretch out. Come out. You see, there's an exclamation point. Now we have this why, 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 why. What's that all about? 
We like it better when John the Baptist looked at Jesus, young, beginning his ministry, walking toward the Jordan, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Boy, I like that. Look at the Lamb of God. How magnificent. What's the rest of the verse? Who takes away the sin of the world? Takes away the sin of the world. How do you feel when you're wallowing in sin? I've been there. You've been there. What's it like? We feel alone. We feel estranged. We feel abandoned. That's how Jesus felt when he took your sin and my sin upon himself on that cross. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When we have sin in our life, we feel abandoned. But the good news, Jesus was abandoned by the Father so that you and I might be forgiven and we will not be abandoned for our sin because he has paid the price in total for your sin and for mine. Behold, the Lamb of God which came and takes your sin and mine upon himself. Oh, we begin to understand what that verse is all about. The heavenly father cannot look on impurity. He can look only on purity, and we become pure when we receive Christ. His righteousness is poured in us. That's how purity comes. And then in this life, when we do that, then we have to live a life of obedience and a life of discipline, not perfection, but a life of discipline. In 1992, Stanford University, that little school in California, the sociology department engaged on an interesting, interesting test. It's called the Marshmallow Experience. And what they did, they took almost 600 kids, aged five to seven, and they took them over a period of months into a room one at a time, and they would play with them and let the kids feel comfortable. And then they would sit a kid down, age five to seven, this category, put a marshmallow in front of the kid. And they would explain to that young kid, look, you can eat that marshmallow right now anytime you want to, or you can wait 10 minutes, and I will come back in the room and give you a second marshmallow. Eat it now, you don't get a second marshmallow. You wait, you'll get that marshmallow and one more after that. So they left the room, came back in 10 minutes, and they saw the children who waited to get the second marshmallow. Now, this is very, very interesting. They have traced since 1972, all of those kids out of that study group all the way to 2012 to see what kind of life they had as they practiced as a young kid, delayed gratification. Hold on to those words, delayed gratification. And the study results were astounding. After 40 years, they saw that those kids made better grades in school, had more successful marriages. Their kids turned out, oh, way better than other kids. In their vocation, whether it was a blue collar or a white collar job, all of them achieved and moved ahead in life after a 40-year study. What was the secret? Delayed gratification. You can have the marshmallow now or you can wait and you can have two. Ladies and gentlemen, every time we make decisions in life, we should think in terms of the marshmallow test, the marshmallow experience, because I can tell you God's blessing 
is usually wrapped up in that second marshmallow. A disciplined life. Receive Christ. Purity comes. Sanctification. We begin to walk in discipline, and the result is a life that is full and meaningful, and we begin to know something about purity, clean hands, pure heart, motives, thoughts, lifestyle, habits. So that's where we start. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God a little bit in light in this life, in people and events, but oh, in heaven we'll see him face to face. That's the first thing we know. We will see God. What's something else we know? This may not interest you, but I think it's interesting to me. We know there'll be animals in heaven. I'm asked that all the time. We know there'll be animals in heaven. Well, how do you know that? Read the Bible. There are over 120 different species of animals and birds in the Bible. Man, look what you have. They look how animals are all the way through the Bible. You, you start there with the birth of Jesus. Where was he born? In a stable. Who witnessed that? Perhaps Joseph and Mary, of course, but the animals. The earth was destroyed by water, by the flood. Noah took what on the ark? Animals. There the second earth, there were animals. And then when Jesus was born, and look back to the, the beginning. There, there's Adam created by God, and God says all the acts of creation, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, until finally he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Remember that verse? And then you say, well, God went and jerked a rib out of Adam's body and made a woman. No, read it carefully. It is not good for man to be alone. And then God began to bring animals into existence. Animals predate women. <laughs> Check it out. Animals in the beginning, animals at the birth, animals at the ark. And so there's going to be animals in heaven. For example, Jonah would have drowned had there been for a big fish. <laughs> How in the world would Mary have gotten from Nazareth to Bethlehem without a donkey? What about Jesus going in on Palm Sunday? What about Elijah was fed by the ravens? What about the symbol, the dove, a symbol of the Holy Spirit? Uh, you read all the way through the Bible, there are animals, animals, animals everywhere. There are camels, there, there are oxen, animals all the way through. And is it logical? We're going to have flowers and beauty that in heaven we're going to have animals. You can book it. And perhaps we get to heaven, we're hugging all of our family and friends and having a great reunion there with those who've gone on before and we'll feel something rubbing on our leg and there will be a, a cat or there will be your dog jumping up on you and you animals are going to be in heaven, folks. They're going to be in heaven. And we're going to know somehow the coniferous animals will be transformed. They'll be a part of the miracle of that. And the lion will lie down with the lamb, Isaiah tells us. So relax. Your dogs will be in heaven and a few cats. <laughs> There'll be animals in heaven. 
Now, the question we're asked all the time, and it's almost become silly, but it is, will we know people in heaven? You're going to get dumber when you, feel, when you receive your resurrection body? Yes, we'll know people. Now, they'll, they'll have resurrection bodies. They may be difficult to recognize in some sense that their lives have been purified and magnified, and there's the image of the resurrection Christ in them. Sure, we will know people in heaven. There'll be a great time of celebration and a great time of reunion. And then we come and ask the question, will there be marriage in heaven? I just wouldn't want heaven to be without my wife, without my husband. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible when the Sadducees came to Jesus and they were trying to trap him. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And they said, uh, Master, here's a woman who's been married to seven different husbands. Who would be her husband in heaven? The Elizabeth Taylor, I guess, of the uh, <laughs> New Testament. Pretty good challenging question, isn't it? If you believe in heaven and the resurrection. Jesus said there won't be marriage in a human sense in heaven. He talked about some kind of angel existence. And, and that is certainly true because Jesus said it, but there will be marriage in heaven. And that is the magnificent marriage when Jesus as the bridegroom will take of those of us who are in faith as his bride. And it is that marriage and out of that marriage, who knows how the rest of the relationships will be expressed in heaven. And you can be sure, you say, well, what about the intimacy I enjoy with my mate? That will be like playing on a little half acre lake and going out in the middle of the ocean. What God has prepared for those who love him, there won't be anything lacking in heaven. So relax, get over it, wake up. Heaven is glory, heaven is completeness, and there won't be anybody shortchanged in any way, shape, form, or fashion. We will be complete in our resurrected life and our resurrected world. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's what it says. Somebody says, well, what about children who have, who have died young or, or they were aborted or they died in their mother's womb? We have plenty of scripture, I think, that covers that. That, that counteracts some who would say they have to come to uh, this kind of position. We know that uh, Jeremiah, before he was born, it said the Holy Spirit was there. We know John the Baptist in the womb of his mother Elizabeth, the Holy Spirit was operative there. We know David when he lost that son. Clear teaching in the Old Testament, it was said that he could go and be with his son in heaven, but his son could not come back to be with him. David was in the land of dying then. The son was in the land of the living. That's true of us. Certainly, Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me. Come sit in my lap. He said, unless we have the faith, the, the simplicity, the little bit of a child, we'll never see the kingdom of God. We'll never see heaven. There's their naiveness there with children. It is beautiful. Jesus honored children. You can be sure that child of yours will be in heaven. Heaven wouldn't be heaven without children, would it? Now, there's a book that was written years back called Heaven is Real. And that book tells the experience of a four-year-old boy who had a ruptured appendix, 
went into surgery, everything, and he died for three or four minutes. And then gradually over a period of months, he begins to tell his parents what he experienced in heaven, a three-year-old, four-year-old rather. And it was unbelievable because he began to experience things and tell of things that happened with his dad and his father's grandfather in heaven that he had no way of knowing. He began to talk about what happened when his mother, they had lost a child in the beginning of the pregnancy, and they hadn't told anybody hardly about that, let alone their four-year-old. And all of a sudden, this begins to come together, and skeptics, atheists, agnostic, secularists couldn't handle it. And it's called Heaven is Real. Quite a story, isn't it? About, I don't know, maybe 13, 14 years ago, member of our church who'd gotten to know Roger Moore and his wife, 007, invited he and his wife to come and spend the night with them while they were in Houston in their home. And they called me and asked me to come over, Joe Beth and I, have dinner and to witness to 007, Roger Moore, and bear witness to what Jesus Christ could do for his life. I had something that night that was already planned that I could not get out of. So I thanked them for the invitation, and they said, well, there'll be another time. But there wasn't. I never had a chance to witness to Roger Moore. And when I saw that he had died, it all came flooding back to me. And I began to say, Lord, did, did I miss something? Should I have canceled whatever I had and, and gone? And would it have made any difference? I don't know. But you're here, and I don't want to miss anybody here because we have to begin with the Holy Spirit operating in a life, convincing you, convincing me of our sin. And then when he convinces us of our sin and we see the severity of it, then we are to confess that sin Anybody need to do that now with your eyes open, looking at me, any sin? Just confess it to the Father. Confess it to the Father. And then if you want to turn away from that sin, that's the option. Convicted of sin, turn away from sin. And then we do something that's really important. The Bible says those who receive him to them, he gives the power to become sons and daughters of God. And then we have to say, Lord Jesus Christ, I'm convicted. I confess. I turn away from, and now I invite you to come into my life. That's it. And he'll come in your life. And what happens is one way to express it, you give him your life and Christ gives you his life. What a deal. That's a purifying process. That's a saving process. That's a salvaging process restoring us to the purpose for which we were made. And there's some here who may need to do that right now. Without anybody moving, will you bow your heads? Just bow your heads where you are. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, right now, I invite you to come into my life to forgive me, to salvage me, to restore me to the purpose for which I was made. I give you my life. Lord, thank you for giving me your life. Lord, thank you for this purifying process that begins right now that will take me all the way to heaven. 
You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.